And happy new year, happy cold new year to you. It finally warmed up a little bit today. I got home after church this afternoon. It had been raining a little bit. Um, and I stood in my garage with my son and I said, man, Christian, my, like my front yard was covered with water. Uh, and I looked and I said, I didn't really, I didn't feel like it rained that much. And he's like, me neither, dad. And I looked and the water was bubbling up from underneath. And like my little sprinkler box that controls my sprinklers, I realized the lid had popped off and had floated down the yard. And I thought, oh boy, this is bad. This is, has nothing to do with rain. So I went out there, I called my sprinkler guy and ended up getting it all shut off and all the water drained around. But I, I for one, am glad it's not so cold anymore. Um, and I'm looking, red, I'm looking forward um, to spring. Actually, most mornings that I've gotten up between like New Year's Day and today, um, I've looked at the temperature on my phone, I've taken my dog outside, and I've wished that I was in Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii, but it is my happy place. I've been a couple times. If I could afford it, I would go every year. Disney may be the happiest place on earth for some. Hawaii is the happiest place on earth for me. I had a couple in our church that Danielle and I are real close to who a few months ago approached me and said, Christian, we're going to renew our wedding vows on our 25th anniversary in Hawaii in two or three years, and we'd like for you to be a part of that. And I said, yes, I'm in. And they said, we didn't, like, we didn't even tell you when it is yet. And I said, you don't understand. The Lord already spoke to me and told me that I'm supposed to do it. So like, I, I'm there. It didn't matter when it is. I'm there to help you in Hawaii renew your vows. And if you ever go to Hawaii and you're not a Hawaiian, um, you might hear somebody reference you uh, or call you behind your back a howley. That, that's what they call like white-faced people in Hawaii, howleys. It, it sounds like Howie, like Howie Mandel with an L, howley. And here's what it means. When European settlers first started going to Hawaii and Americans first started going to Hawaii, the Hawaiian people who are super laid back in the Hawaiian Islands watched the pace at which the European settlers and the Americans lived lives, did business, ate their meals, um, went to church. They just watched their lives and they said, those people always seem like they're out of breath. And the Hawaiian word for out of breath is the word haole. So they started calling them howlies because they said these people are always in such a hurry that they always just appear to be out of breath. Let me ask you a question. As you got to the end of 2017, did you feel like you were out of breath? Like as you stopped at Christmas and got ready for New Year's, was Christmas to New Year's for you catching your breath? So that you could run at such a pace that you would be out of breath again in the new year. Uh, in the new year, would you look at 2017 and say 2017 is a year that I really thrived, or it's, is 2017 another year that you got to the end of and you think I survived? And what will 2018 look like? Because if you're someone who lives your life in a continual state of feeling like you're out of breath, running from one thing to the next with your hair on fire, you are not alone. You know, according to the National Institute of Health, anxiety disorders, people literally feeling out of breath, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions in America. This year in America, nearly 50 million Americans will be impacted by panic attacks, phobias, or some kind of anxiety disorders. As a matter of fact, anxiety disorders in the U.S. are the number one mental health problem among women, and it's second only to drug and alcohol abuse among men, stress-related ailments in America now cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills, pharmaceuticals, and lost productivity. Since 1997, 20 years ago, Americans have more than doubled the amount of money we spend on anti-anxiety medications, 
And there's been an exponential increase in depression as each new generation is three times as likely to experience depression as the previous generation, which means your parents were three times more likely to be depressed than your grandparents. You're three times more likely to be depressed than your parents, and your kids are three times more likely than you to struggle with anxiety and depression. Research tells us that citizens in other countries experience only one-fifth of the anxiety levels of Americans, yet when they immigrate to the U.S., they become like this. Their anxiety level begins to match ours, which, which means we are the problem. It's our culture and our pace. And maybe the scariest thing, psychologist Robert Leahy points out that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Now, in case you missed that, let's read that last one again. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average adult psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Folks, our culture does not work for people who don't want to be out of breath. Our culture, the American way, does not work for people who want to really relax and enjoy life. Something is wrong with the way that we do life. Something is wrong with the way we do school. Something is wrong with the way we do sports. Something is wrong with the way we do our jobs. Something is wrong because we live in a country where our cars are now safer than they've ever been. Our homes and our neighborhoods are developed safer than they've ever been. Our food and our water in America is healthier and cleaner than any other country in the world. Our education is top-notch, and Americans make more on average than any other developed country in the world. Yet, like if anxiety was an Olympic sport, we would all win a gold medal. We would have it hanging in our trophy case. We do that better than anybody else in the world. And I don't know about you, but when I read those statistics, my first thought is, I don't want that to be me. My second thought is, sometimes that's me, but I don't want that to be me anymore. I don't want that to be my kids. I don't want that to be my family. I don't want that to be my grandkids. And then as a pastor, I think, I don't want that to be our church. Like, I don't want our church to be represented with people who emotionally feel like that. So we have decided that this year at our church, we're going to fight against that. Like we're going to put on the gloves and we're going to fight against this chaotic culture that leads people to continually be out of breath. And our goal this year is we do ministry and teach the Bible and follow Jesus is our goal is that this year will bring times of refreshment to people in our church, times of refreshment. That is our 2018 theme as a church. You say, why is that? Because the Apostle Peter says that, Jesus, that, that followers of Jesus should feel this, times of refreshment. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle Peter was preaching the second message that he ever preached, talking to the first generation of Christians that would ever live. They didn't know anything about Jesus. But Peter said, when you follow Jesus, here's what happens in your life. And in Acts three nineteen, he said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter says, when you begin to follow Jesus, your past is radically changed. But your future is supposed to be radically changed too. You lived life one way, but then when you started following Jesus, it led you in a path that constantly refreshed your soul so you didn't feel like you were out of breath. You say, Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. I do not feel like my life is characterized by times of refreshment. Then you're doing something wrong. Or you can do something better. And that's the theme of January at our church. We're entering a series called Death by Distraction. 
Because if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus intends for you to be filled with life that is abundant, life that is refreshing, life that is able to breathe a little bit. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have that, it might be because you've got some distractions in your life that are keeping you from that. So you say, Christian, what do we do? We're going to talk about that this month. We're going to start by looking at the life of a woman named Martha. If you have your Bible, I want to introduce you to Martha in Luke chapter 10. If you have your notes, you can take them out of your bulletin or fire up your Journey Church International app, uh, and you can follow along there. But we meet a woman named Martha in Luke chapter 10, whose life is slowly dying because of the distractions in her life. Luke chapter 10 begins with the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Somebody asked Jesus, how can I be a good neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell him what it looks like to be a neighbor. And kind of the summary of the story is a neighbor is someone who takes the time to care for others. That's what a good neighbor looks like. So we go from somebody who takes time to care for others as a good neighbor to a housewife who doesn't even have time to take care of herself. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in here today and you say, Christian, I wasn't a good neighbor in 2017 because I didn't have time to take care of anyone else. And Christian, I was not a Christian filled with refreshment because I didn't have time to take care of me. Maybe you're a single mom who's out of breath. Maybe you're a single dad who's out of breath. Maybe you have one young child or three or four young kids and you're out of breath. Maybe you work a job that demands the very most from you. Maybe your kid's schedule runs you like crazy. Maybe you say, Christian, that's me, I'm out of breath. If that's you, I want to introduce you to Martha because she is you and you are her and we can learn something from her life. In Luke chapter 10 in verses 38 through 42, just a few verses, we read what it looks like to begin to get undistracted and focus on the important things in life. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted. You might underline that phrase. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Interesting here that Martha, who was distracted, saw someone who was not distracted and didn't say, Lord, make me like her. He said, Lord, make her like me. Like, it will make me feel better if everyone else is just as distracted as I am. There's two ways for me to get healthy, one for me to change, or two for everyone else to become like me so I don't even know that I'm unhealthy. Lord, help her to become as jacked up as me. Was her question, and Jesus was like, no, I'm not going to do that. In verse 41, he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things. Hey, could you underline that? Because that might be the only thing you need to hear tonight as you start 2018. You're worried and you're upset about many things. I get it. But Jesus said only a few things are needed and really indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it's not going to be taken away from her. You know, Mary and Martha are really known for their brother. He's the famous one. He's not mentioned here. But Mary Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus back to life from the dead. That's that's why everyone knows Mary and Martha, because their brother was the guy who died, and Jesus raised him back from the dead in John chapter 11. But Luke doesn't mention him in his context, because he wants us to focus on Martha. Because Luke knows probably that there are more people like Martha than like Lazarus. You say, what, dead people that need to be raised? No, distracted people that need to be raised. You see, for those of you who are out of breath, Jesus raised Lazarus back from the dead, but he raised Martha back to life from distractions. And maybe that's you. 
Maybe you got through 2017 and like me, you missed some of the most important things in life because you were distracted by other things. And this year, Jesus wants to raise you back to the most important things in life from distractions. He doesn't need to speak into your grave. He needs to speak into your calendar. He doesn't need to speak into your tomb. He needs to speak into your schedule. He doesn't need to speak into the graveyard. He needs to look at just your priorities and say, hey, come back to the most important things in life. As you look at this year, do you need to take back your life from all the things that are distracting you? Are you sick of surviving one year at a time rather than thriving and living in times of refreshment? Are you a follower of Jesus, but it's not a very refreshing journey for you? If so, I've got one verse for you in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42. I'm going to tell you to do something that maybe you've never heard a preacher tell you to do in your life. I actually want you to cross out some words in the Bible, and here's why. I want you to go to Luke chapter 10, verse 41, and where it says, Martha, Martha, if you're out of breath and you're sick of living out out of breath, cross her name out and write your name in there. Joe, Joe, Sally, Sally. I tried to say two names that I don't see in here today if your name is Joe or Sally. Sorry, I'm I'm not like trying to say your life is too busy. I'm just making up names. But if you're sitting in here today and you say, man, Christian, I'm out of breath. I'm distracted by a lot of things. Write your name in there because tonight Jesus is saying to you, You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed and indeed only one. What is Martha missing on this day of her life that maybe we miss sometimes too? Let me say it another way. What dies in a distracted life? What are the first things to go when we get too distracted in life? Because we, as we enter 2018, is my vision for our church that we will learn to put away the death of distractions in our life so that we can live in times of refreshment, focusing on things that are most important. And when we look at Martha's life, we see three things that begin to die because she was focused and distracted on things other than priorities. What dies in a distracted life? Number one, we see death of time with Jesus. When we focus and worry about things other than what's most important, we see that we have a death of time with Jesus. I mean, let's be really honest. For those of you who are in the room who are Christians, maybe at some point in your life you opened your heart to Jesus, but you have very little time to open your daily lives to Jesus. I see that happen all the time in our church. On our Christmas services, we had over 100 people who heard the simple gospel message. And and the simple gospel message goes something like this. You were created with a hole in your spirit that only Jesus can fill. Like you were created with a hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. You've got this God-shaped hole in your spirit. And if you will let Jesus come sit on the throne in your heart, if you'll let him fill the hole in your life, he can make you whole. And there are a lot of Christians who say, I need Jesus to fill the hole in my spirit. However, I have no holes in my schedule, so I'm not going to have a lot of time for him. Like my spirit is broken, but my week is full. So like I would like Jesus to fix my spirit, But my calendar's all filled up, so he's going to have to take a number. I mean, if we were to be honest, there's a lot of us who inadvertently kind of made that faith commitment. I need Jesus in my spirit, but I don't have time for him in my life. It's not a good place to be, but Martha, she was worse. Because she didn't ask, like, the spirit of God to come into her life. She invited, like, the real person, Jesus, into her house. She had time to open her house to Jesus, but no margin to spend time with him. She said, you can come on in. I'll be right there. And then she didn't go right there. In Luke 10, 38, if we look at it closely, we look at her and think, wow, she's really hospitable. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. We look at her and say, well, she's got to be one of the greatest followers of Jesus that ever lived. She just opened her house and said, come on in. Yeah, but then she forgot he was sitting on the couch. A few years ago for my little girl's birthday, we took her to P.F. Chang's. That's her birthday place that she likes to eat every year. And there was a 30-minute wait. I hate waiting at restaurants, but it was her birthday. We had extended family. It was a big party. They said 30-minute wait, and we said, okay, 30-minute wait. Um, And we sat down, and 20 minutes came and went, and 30 minutes came and went, and then 40 minutes came and went, and then 50 minutes. And I told Daniel at 55, when we get to an hour, I'm going to go ask him, like, what's going on? And we're going to have to leave. This is crazy. Besides, people who have come in much later than us, like, are now eating their food. So when an hour hit, I walked up to the hostess stand and I said, hey, we're here for my little girl's birthday. You told us a half hour, an hour ago, how much longer do you think it'll be? And she looked at her little piece of paper and she said, what's your name? And I told her my name. She looked at it and she said, I don't see your name on here. And most of the names on the top were crossed off. And I said, I saw her write my name down. So she flipped to the other side that she was ignoring and every name was crossed off, but the very last one, and it was my name. And she said, oh my gosh, I forgot we added you to the list. I forgot we added you to the list. I wonder how often Jesus gets invited into the lives of people who say, I'm going to put you on the list of things that are very important to me, and I'll be right there. And he waits a day, a week, a month, six months, and he comes to the hostess stand of our heart and says, hey, um, you invited me in and told me we were going to spend some time together today. And we say, you know what? I forgot you were actually on the list of things that were important to me. My life got so distracted, I forgot you were there. That was Martha. Come on in, Jesus, have a seat on the couch. I'll be right there. And then she wasn't right there. She forgot. So let me ask you a question. How much time have you spent with Jesus in 2018 so far? This is actually the easiest Sunday this year to answer this question because we've only had six days. Like next Sunday, this will be a harder question to answer than it is this one. You don't even have to think back a whole week because last Sunday was 2017. How much time have you spent with Jesus this year? Think about that for a minute. How how many minutes, seconds, hours, not out of church, just on your own? Let's do a little math assignment. I won't make you add or subtract or anything. I'll just have you give me numbers. How many hours are there in a day? Anyway, 24. How many minutes in an hour? 60. I won't make you do the math. 1,440 minutes every day. 1,440 minutes every day of our lives. If we spend 15 minutes a day, I'll do the math again, about 1% of our day. If we spend 1% of our day, and make sure y'all get that. If we spend 1% of our day with Jesus reading his word, you will read through this entire book in 365 days. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21-20, if you spend 1%, 1% of your life this year reading about who Jesus is and how to get to know him better, you will read through the entire Bible in a year. 1% of your life this year. I've actually never met a Christian who says, I just don't want to spend time with Jesus. I've met thousands who say, I just am really, really busy. Listen to me, folks. Here's a truth that I have learned doing ministry. God rarely reveals himself to people who are always rushed. Like God doesn't serve fast food. It's just not the way he works. 
God is not like a drive-through God. Just pull up real quick and I'll give you what you need and you can be out again. God says, I stand at the door of your house. I like to come in and hang out with you. I like to sit down with you. How long, God? Just give me 1%. Give me 1% of every day and I promise you, your life will be radically transformed. It's why on the first Sunday of every January, we give away this little Bible reading plan. And I'm telling you, a lot of people come in, they look in our bulletin, they see this, and they think, you're crazy. I can't read the whole Bible in a year. 1%. If you give 1% of your time to Jesus this year, 1%, you can one day at a time read everything God wants you to know about him and his plan for your life. You can really know Jesus and spend time with him if you give him 1%. Listen, Martha had Jesus in her home. You might have Jesus in your heart but his impact will be equal to the margin that you allow him to spend with you. I'm telling you, if you just give him 1%, he will impact you exponentially. Here's the consequence of being too busy. You can be rushed or you can be refreshed, but you can rarely be both. You say, Christian, I really have a goal to be refreshed spiritually this year. That's great. But you can be rushed or you can be refreshed. You just really can't be both at the same time. He said, Martha, Martha, listen, you got so many things going on, but there are only a few that are really going to refresh your soul, and one of them is spending time with me. So let me challenge you this year. My vision for your life, give Jesus 1% of your year. If you will do that every day, it will transform what you know about God, and how you are able to walk with God. Let me also say this. When we begin to get distracted, we experience, number two, the death of time with spiritual family. So we see Martha as we look at her life. Has Jesus in her home, but just not any time to interact with him? But we also see it was more than Jesus. I mean, look at verse 38 again. What Martha did is really kind of extraordinary. It says, it's Jesus and his disciples. Like circle or underline those words, and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This wasn't just Jesus. She actually invited an entire small group of people into her home to sit. It appears they had a meal together, and by this time they were talking after the meal about spiritual things. And everyone was engaged in the spiritual discussion except Martha. She was too busy, and instead of sitting down, she basically said, can someone else ignore the spiritual discussion too and come help me? And Jesus said, whoa, 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 you're off base. You say, was Jesus really sitting on a couch in her living room? Probably not. They probably didn't have couches there. But was Jesus sitting on something? Almost certainly. Because we know that Jewish rabbis would almost always sit to teach. You say, why? Why would Jewish rabbis always sit to teach? So that learners could settle in and listen. It was a posture of no one is in a hurry. We've all got time to relax. And rabbis would often teach in communities that let people ask questions and discuss application within a large group of spiritual community. Think about the disciples who would listen to Jesus' sermons and tell Jesus, that was a great sermon. And he'd say, thanks, and then he'd walk away. And they would say to each other, does anyone know what it meant? Like, we don't grow a lot from sermons. We grow more from discussion and application of those sermons. What did he say? How did that impact me? What can I do? How can we do this together? How have you ever seen this work? We learn in a thing called spiritual community. You know the reason our church does small groups? You Sir Brandon at the welcome time uh, offer you the opportunity to engage in a small group. Say, why do you do small groups? Because Jesus did small groups. 
Why are small groups important? It's how Jesus developed people spiritually. We rarely see him standing up preaching to develop people. He does it to call people deeper into relationship with God, but he develops them through small groups, through conversation, communication, discussion, and application. You say, Christian, man, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know that I could do a small group. I've never done one or I did one and it went badly one time. We want you so badly to engage in a small group so that you can grow spiritually where God wants you to grow that we actually do once every couple months what we call a test drive. You say, what is that? It allows you to kind of go to a small group and test drive it so if you don't like it, you don't even have to hurt anyone's feeling. It is a 90-minute commitment, not a nine-week commitment. We actually have one tonight after church. We'll have one again, I'm sure, in February or March where you go and we have a little men's group, we have a little women's group, we have a couple's group. You sit down, you do exactly what you would do in a small group, and at the end of it, we say, what'd you like? What didn't you like? How can we help you connect to a group that follows Jesus like his first century followers did? Say, Christian, I I don't have time for a small group. Listen, then you could not have been a disciple of Jesus. I often ask myself a question. Could I... Go back in the first century and be a disciple of Jesus. And the answer is, if you're not willing to go to small group, no. Because that's how he led. He led through small groups. And if you won't go to small groups, you could not be a first century disciple of Jesus because it's how he taught people and it's how he developed people spiritually. I think if Jesus were here and he said, follow me, it would mean something like this. Give me a little bit of your day every day. Even 1% will help you really know God. I think if Jesus said, follow me in 2018, he would say, you're going to have to follow me with a group because together this group is going to love each other and care for each other. They're going to help each other and you're going to kind of learn together. And then I think Jesus would say this third thing that we see dying in Martha's life because of distractions. We see that she was experiencing a death of time with family. I mean, not only on this day did she not have time for Jesus, which was very clear. She was distracted and worried about a lot of things, just not Jesus. She was distracted and worried about a lot of things, just not time with a spiritual community. She was distracted and worried about a lot of things, just not time with her sister. Remember, Martha had a sister named Mary, but she wasn't spending time with her on this day either. Mary was with Jesus, being undistracted. And Martha, instead of saying, I need to be more like her, said she needs to be more like me. It's actually Mary and Martha in their hearts that birth this entire series. The third week of May, I'm in a church in Queens, New York. I've been taken with pastors from 30 other churches that have planted from our parent church, a church in northwest Atlanta called um, Westridge Church. It's actually in a little community called Dallas, Georgia. It's a church of about 5,000, and they've helped more than 60 churches like ours start. And they kind of like, they're our pastors, and they help us. And every year they get the the pastors and the wives together to make sure they're healthy, make sure the churches are going well. They just try to pour into them and encourage them. So we're sitting in this church in Queens, New York, and Pastor Pete Scazzaro, who's an author who's written a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is talking. And he opens our two-day kind of session with the story of Mary and Martha. And he said, I just need you to know who we are before we dig in for two days. And he reads the story of Mary and Martha, and he said, I want you to know Luke probably doesn't want you to understand their positions in the house as much as he wants you to understand the position of their soul. Because he said they could switch positions in the house, and here's what would happen. If Martha was sitting at the feet of Jesus, she would be sitting at the feet of Jesus thinking about all the other things she had to do because she was distracted and worried about everything else. And if Mary would have been in the kitchen doing dishes, she would have been doing dishes thinking about Jesus at total peace because the position of their soul, one was at rest and one was totally distracted. So he said, are you Mary or are you Martha? And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder sitting in that church in Elmhurst, New York, right outside New York City. And he said, you're Martha. 
and I looked up at my laptop, which was open to my email. I looked to my cell phone, which was open to something else. I looked to a notes page, which was open to something else. And I thought, I've got 10 things going on here and I'm gonna miss everything that God's trying to pour into my spirit to refresh the next two days. And I said, Lord, you got my attention. I'm Martha. I don't wanna be distracted. I wanna be, I wanna be refreshed. Help me. And for two days... This man poured into us a spirit of refreshment. And after that two days, I was so moved by it, I brought it back to our staff. And I thought, this isn't just for our staff. This is for our church because we got a lot of Marthas. We got a lot of anxious, out of breath, really busy, really distracted. I love Jesus, but I don't have time for him. I love people, but I don't have time for them. I really love my family, but Christian, I don't even have time for them. So every year, my family does New Year's resolutions together. Me, my wife, Danielle, my two kids, Christian and Casey, we all write them out the first week of January, and then we get together as a family, and everyone has to go around and talk about their goals for the new year. And then at the end of the year, we get those back out, and we grade each other. How do we do in areas of health and school and academics and ministry and family? How how did we do? We got them out this year, and we graded them. And you know the areas that I failed in the most? The first one was intentional discipleship with my son. Till Christian in January of last year. This year I want to spend more time helping you learn about Jesus than I've ever spent before. Just me and you one-on-one. And he and I decided I failed in that. I failed in my date nights with my little girl Casey who was 13 and turned 14 last year. I said, Casey, at least once a quarter I want to dress up with you and I want to take you out someplace on a date so you know what a date looks like and feels like when a young man is taking care of you and treats you well and honors you. You know how many date nights of the four we had scheduled we actually took? Zero. Casey said, yeah, you didn't do that one. I failed in my dating of my wife, Danielle. We spent a lot of time together, but we said, hey, let's quit just spending so much friend time together and let's have nice dates where we get dressed up and you buy me flowers and we get each other cards. You know how often we did that? Probably less than three. I looked at my year and my greatest areas of failure were my son, who I taught more about football than faith last year, my daughter, who I just got distracted doing other things, and my wife, I don't know if it just slipped my mind, or if I just need to get more in touch with the romantic side of myself. But I know I let them down. And I know those are the people that I care most about. A few months before we started our church, we were at a church planning conference in California. Two very well-known pastors uh, in large church planning movements were there. They were training us in church planning. And a guy asked a question during a Q&A. He asked one of the pastors, um, I'm getting ready to start a church. How would you recommend that I set my schedule as a church planner? to make sure that I leave time for my family. And the pastor on stage said, you have a church or you're getting ready to start a church? And he said, I'm getting ready to start a church. He said, good. It makes it easier to answer your question. One, you're asking the wrong question. Let me tell you how the question should be shaped. How do I make sure I spend good time with my family? So let me tell you how to set your schedule. Since you don't have a church yet, I want you to sit down with your wife and decide how often you guys want to spend together. I want you to figure out what you want to do. And then I want you to pencil that into your calendar every week. Then I want you to sit down with your kids and I want you to ask your kids, what kind of dad do you want me to be for you? What kind of activities do you want me to participate with you in? And I want you to write that into your calendar every week. And he said, if there's any time left after that, give it to the church. Because if your church makes it and your family fails, you fail. If your church makes it and your family fails, you fail. So he says, start with your family. And then he told us this because he came from a family where his dad was a pastor And his dad spent so much time doing ministry, it ended up mom was alone. 
Mom became an alcoholic. Mom ended up leaving him. He kind of said, God has called me to lead the church. If you have to go, go. He let his wife walk. He kept leading his church. The son almost walked away from the faith church altogether. They ended up having a huge blow up. But he said, I can do ministry differently. I can do ministry where I put my family first. Started a church, and now he's training other church people. But he said, here's the hard lesson that I learned. Here's the hard truth that I learned as a pastor. He said, God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. He said, there's not a single verse in the Bible that says if you work really hard in the church, God will make sure your kids are okay. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says if you work really hard in the church, God will take care of your marriage. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says if you work hard to provide for your family, your wife will always love you and you don't have to date her. There's not a single verse that says if you provide a nice house for your kids, they'll really love you and feel close to you. God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. So he said, you have a chance at the beginning to let the most important things come first, schedule those, and let everything else come separate. See, I know better. I was told this seven years ago, and I get to the end of 2017, and my son, my daughter, and my wife say, yeah, I think we'd give you an F in those areas. And I said, all right, guys, I'll try to do better. Because here's the weird thing. If you were to ask me, Christian, what brings you times of refreshment? I would say hanging out with my family brings me times of refreshment. Mentoring my son, dating my daughter, pursuing my wife, that actually fills my bucket. Why don't you do it? I get distracted and worried about many other things. You know what really fills my soul and brings times of refreshment? Hanging out with my small group. Whether we're hanging out watching football games like we did over the break or we're hanging out discussing message stuff, every time I'm with my small group on the way there, I'm thinking, I don't know if I have time for this. And on the way home, I'm thinking, I'm so glad I went. It brings times of refreshment every time. And you know why I don't do it enough? Because I get worried and distracted about many other things. And you know what really refreshes my soul? Spending time with Jesus. Spending time in the word of God. Spending time in my journal. Spending time on my knees in prayer. Anytime I spend time with Jesus, it's like charging my phone. I notice immediately that the charge has increased in my spirit when I will plug into Jesus. And you know why I don't do it every day, 365 days a year some years? because I'm worried and distracted by many other things. And maybe that's you. Worried and distracted by many other things, when in reality, three are by far most important. Jesus, your family, and your spiritual family. So for me this year, I want to live with times of refreshment. And for me this year, I want to live with less distraction. So we're actually, this year, because I want you to experience times of refreshment and have less distractions... We're offering a challenge called the No Distractions Challenge because it sounds better than Less Distractions Challenge. No Distractions Challenge. And it fits better on a little wristband that we're handing out. We're actually so serious about you being focused on having less distractions in your life when it comes to Jesus, family, and spiritual family that we're going to give you one of these little wristbands when you walk out so that every day, if you wear this, you can look at your wrist and think, have I spent my 1% with Jesus yet? Have I spent my 1% with family yet. That's going to be part of my challenge. Am I, am I literally saying no to good things so I can say yes to the best things? You say, what is the no distractions challenge? It comes from Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this, see then that you walk circumspectly. It's two Greek words that mean looking around. See that you walk looking around. It, it's a walk that if you're on a trail in the state park and somebody's coming towards you, And they say, hey, about 50 feet ahead, there's a rattlesnake laying in in the trail. That's how you walk, walking toward you. Like you walk, looking around. That's what circumspectly means. 
Walk looking around, Paul says, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Here's what Paul is saying. You have the ability in life to get distracted and worried about many things. And if you don't stop and look around and realize what those are and limit distractions, you're gonna miss the most important things. So get less distracted so you use every day the way that God wants you to use it. How do we do that? Let me give you four things. We're gonna give you these at the end of every message, a little challenge this month. Number one, I wanna challenge you to depart daily. I wanna challenge you actually to use 2% of your time every day. It almost sounds pathetic when you say it that way, but I believe if you start there, times of refreshment will begin to come. I want you to use 1% on Jesus. I want you to take this Bible reading or a Bible reading plan, and I want you to begin to spend 15 minutes every day in scripture, reading. We've got some questions you can ask on the the back of the, the Bible reading plan that would just help you understand, okay, what did I learn? What did God say to me today through this? Give him 1% of your time. I love to give people the benefit of the doubt because I love people. And I think I understand people a little bit, but we would have to be honest to say, if you can't give Jesus 1% of your time, it's because he's not very important to you. Like we'd have to be honest enough to say, if you can't give Jesus 1% of your time, he's not a priority. So depart daily. Give him 1% of your time and then add another percent of your time with your family if you have a family. Sit down for just 15 minutes. Just start there. 15 minutes. Phones off, televisions off, Netflix off, um, computers off, video games off. Sit down with your family and just look at each other and say, how's everyone doing? With our family, we do a little thing called high-low buffalo. We do it almost every day. What was your high of the day? What was your low of the day? A buffalo is something unexpected. What, what happened today that you weren't expecting? We do it almost every day, either around dinner or at night, sitting on our bed in our bedroom or sitting on the couch, just high-low buffalo. Real quick, let's just catch up. 15 minutes of shutting the world out so we can bring us together. Sounds sad to say we spend 1% of our time together and it brings us closer, but it's better than 0%. And sometimes you get so worried and distracted about other things, you don't do this. By the way, mom and dad, those of you who travel on business, you can do this over FaceTime. Hello, Buffalo. Tell me about your day. Tell me what's going on. Tell me how your heart's going. I want to challenge you to depart daily, every day. No distractions, every day. Give God 30 minutes. Number two, withdraw weekly. You have to have a time that you put in your week where you're meeting with a group of men, where you're meeting with a group of women where you're meeting with a small group. At the very least, do this monthly with our men's gatherings and begin to live in spiritual circles, begin to live in small groups, begin to look like a disciple of Jesus, learning through discussion, question and answer. I will give you more detail on what a true Sabbath looks like as we get through this series. But for today, every week, make it a point to get out and to get into a group of people. Number three, quiet quarterly. I want you to depart daily. I want you to withdraw weekly. I want you to quiet quarterly, not one or the other, all of them at the same time. Here's what I mean by quiet quarterly. I want you to take a weekend off with your family once a quarter. I want you to listen really closely here. I don't even want you to come to church. I want you to take like a Friday from 4 p.m. to a Sunday after dinner, and I want you to do nothing but be together. I want you to say no to everything else so you can say yes to family. Tell the coach you're not coming to practice. Tell the coach you can't make that tournament. Tell the ministry you serve in, I can't come that day. And take one 
weekend every quarter and say, this is going to be about us. We're just going to be together because nothing is more important. Nothing is a bigger priority than spending time pouring into my family. I want to challenge you to do that. It will change your life. And then finally, number four, I want to challenge you to abandon annually. You say, what is abandon annually? It would look like a family vacation. It would look like taking a week off and shutting everything else uh, else out to be together. Do you know that God in the Old Testament Jewish calendar mandated that every family take three vacations every year? They were called feasts. If you go back and study them, feast of Passover, feast of booze. But God would tell families three different times every year, you got to lock up the farm, put the animals away, and you have to go on a trip together where it's just you and the family. You say, why would God make people do that? Because he knew that they wouldn't unless he made them. Why? They would get busy and distracted by many other things. So God said, I'm going to force you to come to me, but really you're going to get the blessing. I mean, you're going to think until you really get it that I'm doing this for me, but I'm doing it for you. I'm going to make you do this because you need it, not because I need it. And by the way, that's what BTW means for those of you who don't text. It means by the way, these times depart daily, withdraw weekly, quiet quarterly, abandon annually. They have to be exchanges, not additions to your calendar. I think where we mess up in the American church is we take people who already have a busy life and then we ask them to add Jesus to it. We take people who already can't breathe and say, oh, by the way, now you need to read your Bible every day. We take people who don't have time for their families and tell them now you have to be in a small group. We take people who are struggling in their job, working 70 or 80 hours a week and tell them now you have to serve. We just ask people to add Jesus to a life that already is dropping the balls they're trying to juggle. No, these are exchanges. And and here's what you exchange it with. You can make the list. I want you to find the things in your life that are less important than Jesus, following Jesus, and your family. The list of that is probably pretty long. I want you to find the things in your life that are less important than Jesus, following Jesus, and your family. Anything that's less important than those three things can be replaced by one of those three things, and it will make your life better. I promise you. So some of you have some hard conversations because you're going to have to replace something you like for something that you love and that brings your spirit refreshment. You're not going to fit this into your schedule. You're going to take something less important out so that this can be most important. You're going to exchange distractions for disciplining the things and prioritizing things that are most important. Why? Because the hard truth is God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. And this year in 2018, Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, wants you to live this year with times of refreshment. Those come by spending time with Jesus. Those come by really spending time with your family. Those come by spending time with spiritual family. Jesus knows if you'll do those, you'll, you'll experience times of refreshment. But he also knows it's your choice. God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. But if we will honor him and do what he says, I believe he'll pour his refreshment into our spirit. Would you pray with me tonight?